Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to Late Lunch Playback as we head towards the end of June. We begin today with the unusual story of the runner and a bird of prey. Sean Carpenter, who was out for his usual run on the regular route, takes up the story. Yeah, uh, Jerry, I went for a run. Uh, it was around four o'clock and I would normally run out to Kells Road, just uh, past the lay-by cross. Uh, it's, about one, uh, it's about two and a half kilometres from my house. And where do you uh, live, Sean? I live in Rat, Rat Ran between Lobenstown and Cullen. The bog of Rat Bran. That's right, yes. <laughs> I know it well. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so you've told us where you are now, Rat Bran Bog. So off you go for your run. Take up the story from there. What happens? Well, uh, well I was just uh, passing that area. It's a kind of a rocky kind of area. There's a lot of trees around the area. And I could hear the swooshing sound, like a sound of a glider. I felt, I felt like something moving through my hair. And I looked up. I couldn't see anything. The next thing, bang, on top of the head. I could see this board uh, doing a kind of a circle. And it came back behind me like, like a missile, Jerry. I did, and at this stage, I, I could see uh, the board fly into a tree then. But he'd done that twice, two times. And the blood was starting to come in, you know. And then I said to myself, I'd better get the hell out of here. Or just if he brings his friends, it'll end up like a scene of the Alfred Hitchcock, uh, the board, you know. Yeah, I can imagine you know. how you were feeling. So yeah. you, this board actually sunk his talons into your head, and you felt pain, and the blood flow right. followed. Yes, yeah, I did feel pain, uh, Jerry. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, it came so quick. I, like I, 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 I looked up. I looked everywhere. I couldn't see him. And next thing, bang again. He, he was he, like he did a circle across the sky, and then he came down like a bang. You know. Mm. And, and uh, could you describe the board? At colour or how how big was yeah, was the? I would. He uh, was medium sized board. Uh, kind of a broad wings, like a short, and he had a short neck, mm. and uh, he had a hooked hooked kind of a beak, and uh, he also had uh, his feathers were. I think it's stiff. He had massive wings, like, you know, when he was behind me, I could see him come behind me, like stiff wings. And yes. He, he, he was a bit whitish in under, under wings as well. So you know, twice, he hit you twice. He hit you first yeah, and he came back he a second time and right. he uh, caused damage. So did you continue with the run or head home or what did you do? I, I tell you, I, I, I stopped in the middle of the road, Jerry, and I said, uh, look, I, 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 there's blood coming out and I hope to God I don't need stitches. So what I did was I, I said, look, I'll, I'll try and jog home. And uh, I, I stopped at a neighbour's house for some water just to wash the, to see, you know, be, uh, much blood coming, you know. 
Mm. And uh, I, I kept going and I, I, I dialed my doctor when I got home and he told me to come straight, straight down and he gave me a tetanus injection and, and he put me on antibiotics for 10 days. He said and no stitches? Punct- no stitches no, though? You didn't no have to get stitches? Jerry, no, but there was, there was two punctures in, in my head, the doctor said. Okay. I, was really, I-, I really felt very sore that time, you know. Yeah, well, and how are you uh, now? How are you feeling today? All right? Uh, yeah, the pain, the, the pain is easing. It's a lot better now. My, my head is just too, just uh, a bit of swelling there on top of my head, but it, it, it has improved. Yeah. Good, good to hear. Yeah. So I, I take it you haven't been that way since? No, no, no Jerry, no. Uh, but I just, I just want to make people aware, Jerry, that if they're out walking or running or cycling, with, or even with small children, you know, a child could be could could fall off a bike if I hit by one of these, and be mm. afraid to be into a car or something, you know. I'm afraid now it's going to happen to more people, you know. So who or what was the aggressive bird? Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland clarifies. I suspect, um, uh, when I first heard the story, I suspected it was most likely a buzzard. Uh, and then when Sean described it there, I can confirm, yes, it sounds like a very good description of a buzzard, which is a much larger bird than, than a kestrel or a sparrowhawk. Uh, and this is indeed very unusual behaviour. Uh, we, you know, we haven't we haven't really come across this before this year, but there have been a couple of other instances this year, unfortunately. And um, there was one case where, where a buzzard uh, did this in a certain area of, of Dublin, uh, and another one in Carlow did it. So there's obviously it's more than one uh, more than one incident, uh, and it's all happened within the last few weeks. And uh, we think it has something to do with the COVID restrictions. Strange as that may seem, buzzards. To give a bit of background, buzzards are remarkable birds. They used to be very common in Ireland if you went back centuries. They were, they were wiped out because people feared that they posed a threat to, uh, to, to livestock. No, they don't. They, 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 they're not capable of killing a, a lamb or anything like that. They, they mainly hunt rats and rabbits, as well as earthworms for their favourite food, uh, rabbits particularly. Uh, and uh, they're formidable birds, but they usually avoid people like the plague. They're quite happy to soar high in the sky over areas of human habitation. But when it comes to nesting, it's just what they're doing at the moment, they tend to avoid people as much as possible. So they would nest usually inside quite dense woodland because they see people as a threat uh, and they want to avoid them. Now, what we think is happening here is that these birds um, nested closer to some public roads than they would have uh, normally because the the, uh, coronavirus restrictions meant that people weren't around. Uh, Humans kind of disappeared for several weeks from a lot of that landscape and so the birds would have built their nests a bit closer to to these areas where people would jog or might walk than than they normally would. Uh, And this is behaviour by protecting their nest or protecting their, their they're young in the nest. This is the time of year when they have um, their, their chicks are going to fly soon within the next couple of weeks, uh, and they're feeling very vulnerable, and so they want to drive away any kind of threat. So that's, that's what we think happened here. It's not something that buzzards would do at any other time of the year, and so this behaviour should hopefully last not, not longer than another couple of weeks. Um, and it is extremely unusual and very, very unfortunate. Um, but I think probably due to the, the, the COVID restrictions taking humans out of the environment for those birds for a brief period of time, now the humans are back, they're too close to the nests without realising, of course, and the birds react. A really plausible and logical explanation from Niall. But do take care if you're out and about near the bog of Rathbran. The fallout from COVID-19 for businesses is becoming apparent as the lockdown eases. The sad reality is that many will not reopen. Geraldine Kelly has been styling hair on Sunday's gate in Drogheda for 50 years. She intended reopening, but given the new criteria, she's decided to call it a day. No, I just can't do it, Jerry, with the restrictions and oh, that would be too much work for me. <laughs> yeah. And have you been mulling this for a while and why, why, yes, why did you take us all by surprise yesterday? 
I didn't know. It's only in the last kind of two weeks this came into my head when all the things came out for what we had to do, you know, mm. and um, and the overheads and all the different things. I'd only be so restricted of what I could take in to work that out, you know. Yeah. So I had no intentions. Like when it started, I was aiming to get back in, yeah. you know. I wouldn't have thought about this. But just the way things happened, I decided this is the time to do it. This is a so, good time. Yeah. Half a century, 15 years, Geraldine. <laughs> Can I you know. think back to, you know, when you think back 50 years ago, where did you, just tell us again, where did you begin and how did it begin for you? Well, I was in England and I shared my time in England and then I came home and I was about 17 and I went to work in Dublin in one of the big salons and I was two years there and they closed down. It was a time so... I said I'd come back to Drogheda. I was getting married and um, I was looking for a place. And um, it was Mr. Dolan at the time in Sunday's Gate. I went to him and he gave me the place. It was a different building. It was the same building I'm in, mm. but just around the corner. So that's when I opened up and that was 71. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. I have to say, you've obviously looked after the styles of grandparents, parents and children, all the generations. Oh, I loved it, so I do. I still love it, you know. I did all my courses all the time and that, and I have fabulous. All my customers are my friends now, so I'm not losing them. I'll be seeing them in the coffee shops and the open and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and you know, when something is foisted on you like this, which it has been really, it's the regulations and all yeah. that's involved with getting going again, um... You know, like, do you feel a, a pang of regret at all? Or has, is, is it done and dusted now? That's it. It's over. Yeah, it's over. For me, it's, I always move on, Jerry. You know, I don't think back. Yeah. I think forward. So I probably never, I don't know when I would have done it if this didn't happen. So it made me make up my mind for me. Mm, yes. Thank God I'm healthy and I'm able to enjoy life and I have three beautiful grandchildren. You know, I have plenty going for me. Yeah. And, um, so I'm happy, to be honest. Mm. Yes, yeah, sometimes I find this in life with things. Sometimes the decision is, you know, uh, you know, you're you're dithering. Maybe you're thinking fifty years should I, shouldn't I? And then something happens to actually move along the road. And you know something, Geraldine. Most people I know who this has happened to never regret it. This is the good thing about this. You know what I mean? Okay, Another door yeah. opens. I think. Yeah, I think once you you make the decision and just go with it. I think if you are thinking about, it, like for years, people are saying to me, "Have you any intentions?" Of you know resigning or whatever, and I say no, no, don't mention that word to me. You know, I wouldn't be into retirement. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but um, no, I'm I'm happy out. I really am. Made a decision and go with it. When you see the outpouring of. You know, sadness and and especially from all those people you mentioned there, legions of them that have been through Geraldine's and were hoping to come back to it and that. And you see all the postings going on, the messages you're getting. I'd say your phone was hopping. What, how do you feel? Yeah. How do you feel with all that? I suppose I never expected that, Jerry. I don't know why, but I didn't think. I just thought people would say, well, bye bye and all that. And then there was people ringing me yesterday, they're crying, you know, mm. and saying, oh, you see, it's kind of a little community there in Sunday's Gate. People m- met there every week and, you know, it was more than hairdressing there. It was all the different celebrations of all the different things they'd done together. Mm. And we were all part of each other's lives. Yes. You know, so that's probably, you know, it's that sad because there's very few places now like corner shops and that the people be up and go to. 
and hang around and kind of thing, you know. <laughs> you looked after them all and the hung around. But I'm just thinking, on a serious note, going forward for others, when you think about it, you know, that camaraderie, the community, the sitting, having a coffee or a tea while you're waiting, the chatter, you know, yeah. the sorting out of life's problems, the magazines on the table, I believe they can't even happen anymore. All you that's gone. That. Yeah, and I would find that very difficult to go back into. And what, four people a day, Jerry? You know, you couldn't do it. And they, you'd all be masked up and all that. And could you imagine? There'd be no conversation. Mm. It'd be very business-like and out the door. And that just wouldn't work for me. That wouldn't different be you. Children. No. And younger hairdressers have a different way and different clientele, you know. And it'll work for them because they're young at it and that. But my clients like to sit around and have a cup of coffee and have their magazines and talk about what's on telly or the radio or whatever, you know. Sadly, it won't be the same from a customer's or Geraldine's perspective. We wish her all the best for the future. Another local business, Amos in Louth Village, is saying goodbye, but for a different reason. Here's its owner, Eamon O'Neill. I'm in the business, Sherry, uh, nine years in September coming. One of the hardest decisions I ever had to do was, was, was shut the pub. I, I've made some incredible memories over the last nine years. And, and you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm shutting the pub not just because of the COVID, but as I said, I'm a diabetic and, and you look at RT News, Sky News at the minute, you know, diabetes is that one of the things that is at risk with COVID. And it probably just give me a different perception on it that, you know, <laughs> there's more to life than, than just working the whole time. And, and, and as I said, uh, I'm just looking maybe at, at something different now. So you see yourself with your health condition, underlying condition, uh, as being in a vulnerable group. And again, this is another factor that you had to consider. Is it the main factor? Um, it probably is, Jerry. As I said, if the truth be told, I probably don't want to close the pub. As I said, I, I'm after having nine years of success. I've made some new friends. Uh, some of the memories we've created between football different things, different nights we had in the pub, you know, they live with me forever, uh, as I said. But since since I closed, I probably realised that, you know, I, I maybe missed out on some things because of the pub. Um, mm. Simple things like we've had family meals over the last couple of weeks where it was sort of a family-run pub that I can go to these meals now, all the family together, and not worry about, you know, is everything all right in the pub? Does such and such need a lift home? does, you know, is everything going all right? So, as I said, this last couple of weeks, it probably made me feel like, you know, I've probably seen more of my family in the last couple of weeks than I did the nine years before that. (laughs) And it is a point, isn't it, when you have your own place, it consumes your life. And look at the hours when we're all finishing up in our working day. You're just beginning and God knows it goes on into the early hours and look at weekends, etc. So it's two things, your underlying health condition. You've seen another aspect of life which you like and that you've been missing out on. But here's the thing I was thinking, Eamon, about you. Nine, ten years you came into this at a very, very tough time when Ireland was in real trouble economically. Um, yeah, as I said, I, I worked in Dava Castle for three years and the opportunity of this pub, you know, was something I looked at maybe further down the lane, but the opportunity came up earlier than expected. And I, I took a go and I talked to my family and my my, my wife now they talked to her then and said, you know, maybe will I give this a go? And the country at the time was in recession and... Um, 
it, it was a big risk to take. And I'll be honest with you, I know people were probably looking at me saying, this fella's not right in the head. You know, this isn't going to work. But I, I didn't let them people get to me. I, I, I kept going. I stayed positive. And, and I give it a go. And thanks be to God, I was fit to prove maybe some of the doubt was wrong that I, I could go and could go at it. And as I said, thanks be to God, I had nine very successful years uh, as a publican. You built up a great business there, I know, and sure it's an old help, isn't it, when you're a mockedist man? Yeah, well, probably the biggest highlight of of, of the pub game was was the mockedist winning the championship two years ago. Um, The couple of days we had was incredible, not just, it was incredible for the pub, but but it was incredible for me to be be part of both, you know, that some of the nights we had, Jerry, around the time we won won the championship was just incredible and as I said, some of the memories that, that, that I'll take away from that, you know, I'll never lose them. It was just incredible to have them. You posted a video. Oh, my word. It's just so heartbreaking t- to look at. It's just the emotions. You couldn't help but well up in you when you see it. You, I'd say you were in bits yourself, were you? Um, if you if we made the decision about a week ago, Jerry, and we, 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 uh, we were disappointed, but still happy that you know one door closes another one opens as the fellow says you know that that you know it was another opportunity but we decided then to put the we better put a post off on Facebook and let some of the customers know you know that we're not opening again just to keep them but we honestly didn't think we would have got the response we got some of the messages um, we put the, the video up Sunday night the phone calls I received Monday it, I shouldn't say this but it was like a wake people on the phone to me nearly in tears and said something was bad <laughs> something bad was after happening yes it was mm. only closing the pub like people were really shocked that you know that <laughs> I was closing that they had such great such memories over the years as you've seen with the video that we put up some of the nights we had we had western nights beach parties in a small village like Loud people nearly were looking at you saying it's this for the mad but we were willing to to try all these things to, to, to make it a goal to do something different and mm. the video just shows back the night some of the memories we had in them nine years so yeah. as I said if you, if you looked in our window Jerry, if you were passing our house last Sunday night you'd think it was awake you're at the whole family around the table crying and, and bringing tears tears of joy and tears of sadness um, yeah. if that makes sense Jerry. Ah it really does and I know you're at the, the heart of, of, of Loud Village there so one door closes another opens what does that open door hold in store for Eamon O'Neill? Um, at the minute, Jerry, I'm I'm open to offers. Um, I'm hoping again. I'm not going to rush into it. As I said, I'm a diabetic, and long term, I'd be looking for something maybe a bit more regular that I can keep maybe better controlling my diabetes for for future. Um, so at the minute, I'm not I'm not going to rush into it. I'm going to wait and see does the does the right job come up. Um, my father is in the, the the lorry game. He is he is nine or ten lorries there, so. He'll keep me busy um, in the in the time being. Uh, I have a brother-in-law there as well, Bournewood. He's busy enough at the minute. So between the two of them, uh, Jerry, they'll keep me going for the for the time being until the the right job opportunity uh, arises. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before another door opens for Eamon. We wish him well. When diagnosed with advanced cancer, Dr. Kate McGarry began writing a book about her experience. Sadly, it remained unfinished when she passed away. But she received a commitment from her husband, Dr. Finbar Lennon, to complete her work. 
The result, an outstanding book called The Heavens Are All Blue. Finbar joined me on the show and I began by asking him if a book was on Kate's mind at all prior to her illness. Well, I think it was all to do with her illness, Jerry. I mean, Kathleen was, was a great reader uh, and she liked reading true stories and she read all of the, the, the stories on the British royal family. Whether they were all true or not is another hmm. question, but she, she loved reading and she spent uh, hours, mainly at night time, on her Kindle reading books. Um, and um, no, it, it wasn't really until she became a patient and she realised, you know, the, the difficulties that patients have uh, going through the system, particularly those patients with cancer disease, where there's a lot of waiting around for test results and then waiting for the chemo and waiting for um, blood tests, etc. So she uh, used to jot down. Um, her experience in her notebooks and her diaries, and she'd write little comments, probably for a year before she uh, died. Mm. And then um, we go to Connemara. Uh, we used to go to Connemara uh, every year for 35 years to the same part of Connemara uh, near Renville. Um, and uh, on uh, six months before she died, we were in Connemara on the holiday. It, it was raining quite a bit uh, over a couple of days. And she told me uh, one afternoon when she was resting in bed, listen, Finbar, I'm going to write a book about all of this. And I didn't pay too much attention to her at the time. I just nodded and said, great, <clears throat> and left it at that. Um, but she had already started writing at that time. And um, it was only then when she got uh, more ill in um, September, October, and she had to go into hospital and was in hospital for quite a bit of time in the last few months before she died. And it was there that she did a lot more writing, and she wrote about her life as well as just her illness. Uh, and um, I, I didn't realize that she had written so much, uh, but I knew that she was writing and that she wanted to write this book and had said that to me on a number of occasions over the, the, the three months before she died. And then... Uh, towards the end, she said uh, to me, Finbar, listen, you know, I'm not going to be able to finish this book and I want you to do it. And I promised her <coughs> that I would finish it. So that's really how it, how it arose. Well, may I say, I, I can see her. I'm looking up skywards at the moment and she's smiling down today because you've done a wonderful job. But what was that like, you know, when she really passed it on to you? Did you get to it straight away after she passed? Did it take time? Was it difficult? Well, I mean, it was difficult and easy uh, in the sense that... Um, it was something that I had promised to do, and therefore I had no choice. I had to get uh, down and prepare for it. And in the first, shortly after she died, probably a month later, I, I, I got out her diaries and her notebooks uh, and um, looked at her writing. I said, I'd never be able to decipher this. But in fact, I was able to do that over the course of six months. So I put it all down, typed it out. Uh, all her notes from two diaries and a few notebooks. Uh, and that took me uh, six months until the summer of 2018. And then I said, what am I going to do next? And I said, I need to join um, an, uh, the Irish Writers Club. Well, I had been a member, but I'd never kind of spent much time there. So I, I joined um, a creative writing course uh, 
which went on for about two or three months in the autumn of uh, 2018. Uh, And... Um, that's really what got me going. I, 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 I enjoyed that course. Uh, I was able to talk with uh, kindred spirits. And um, so, so that really um, was the start of my, yes. my own writing. Yes. And, you know, when you, you talk about taking those diaries, like you were close to her, closer than anybody in this world. But was it still in a way, revealing to read what she wrote? Were there things there that she actually had never disclosed to you? Well, there were a lot of things, uh, I suppose. Uh, I mean, initially, you know, I was surprised at the amount of writing, but also at the amount of insight she had, uh, not only in relation to her own illness, but in relation to the kind of family and how things were going to play out uh, when she left. Uh, and she knew that, uh, you know, we both knew from the very beginning, uh, Jerry, that uh, we were handed a bad card and that um, the prognosis was very poor. So we knew we were talking about a year, year and a half at the at the most. And and that was very difficult to accept uh, at the beginning. But um, again, she was a very practical uh woman, um, you know, uh, called a spade a spade. And uh, all her life, she organized and she organized the family. She always had a lot of balls uh, up in the air at the one time and managed uh, remarkably well uh, to do a very busy job and also raise a family. Mm-hmm. I, I, on the other hand, was very one dimensional. <laughs> I was totally kind of tunnel visioned in relation to my own medical career. So I did help out, but most of the work was done by her. Yes, yes. Uh, well, I'll tell you, she she made sure that she was leaving you with plenty of work to do subsequently, which, again, I say, has has turned out uh, really beautifully. Um, you know, her, her own approach. You said she was, and I got that from her the day I met her as well, pragmatic lady. But for all of us, when that time comes, and it comes to all of us that we leave this world, was... <laughs> Was she ready? Did she want to go? How did she face up to that? Well, I mean, she didn't want to go. Oh, no, yeah. she didn't. Yeah, yeah. But um, she was the kind of person who um, sat down from the beginning and worked out, listen, I only have a certain amount of time. There are certain things I want to do uh, that I'm going to do. And the only way that I get through this is by maintaining a routine and staying working as long as I can because she she worked uh, in a, the private clinic in the matter or in the matter clinic in Navan right up until the the day she went into hospital mm. and she was also very involved with her own college the college of physicians and also with the Irish Heart Foundation so in many uh, ways that type of busy life where she had other kind of distractions all the time really uh, was extremely important in getting her through. Uh, And uh, as I say, we both knew what the story was. We didn't talk openly about it. We talked really in nods and winks and uh, in coded language. But we we knew exactly what each other was thinking and what they were saying. Uh, And uh, and we were a good kind of partnership. And and it worked extremely well in that context. But... Yes, she was. She was very uh, 
kind of not so much angry, but she, she at the beginning. But she kind of said, "Why? Why should it happen to me? I've got two of my parents into their nineties before they died, and her father only died during the course of her own illness, yeah. and there was no cancer in her family history." Mm. So she kind of was asking questions, but uh, only, in fact, just to, to say it out loud, not not yes. right, really to kind of blame anybody or mm. blame anything. Mm. But she got it off her system, got it off her chest, and we both uh, went from there. So mm. my job was to keep her, uh, keep her on the road, uh, drive whenever she let me drive, because she was very keen to drive as long as she could herself. And I became her, her PA, I suppose. I did a lot of uh, reading and writing for yes. her because she had a lot of correspondence to do. So I helped with that. Of course. And I want to say to listeners, this, is, this book isn't just about her illness. It's a love story. It's a life story. It's a family story. It's a professional story. It has everything in this book. And here I wanted to say to you, I know you both met in the bicycle shed in UCD many moons ago. Yes. But hey, hey, Finbar, come here a minute. You didn't rush in the Perry. 11 years courtship. Well, well that's true. I mean, we, t- we took our time, or rather I took my time. <laughs> she, she would have kind of said, well, listen, you know, what she always used to say to me is, Finbar, get on with it, because I was the long-winded kind of boring part of the partnership, and she you know, was the excitement. And uh, she loved uh, she loved her work. Uh, she was very, very fond of Navin. In fact, half her life was spent in Navin. But she also liked uh, fun and games and liked to go to the parties. And at the same time, she was still able to do the other uh, work type, uh, the College of Physicians and the Irish Heart Foundation. And she enjoyed being with young people and young doctors and was somebody who advocated very strongly for young uh, doctors and their lifestyle, particularly the female doctors. Mm. Uh, and the, half of the pop, half of the doctors now are female, so she was very keen to ensure that the life work balance uh, was better for those that came after her than it was for us. Indeed, a work-life balance so important, and what a legacy! If only more of us could adjust, life would be much better for all. I highly recommend The Heavens Are All Blue by Finbar Lennon and the late Kate McGarry. What's in a name, or a nickname to be precise? We spoke to and heard from many listeners about their nicknames and how or why it came about. Sean Malone's nickname is a really great one. I'm, I'm, I was just called Ho. Ho? Ho, yes. H-O-E. I was always called Ho. Nobody, Who, Chris- a lot of people wouldn't know the name of Sean. <laughs> and I, I love it. Look at look. In case you're you're just not tuned, you are tuned into us in late lunch. But in case you know what I mean, you're not fully tuned in. Home alone. <laughs> Home alone. Yes. That's, 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 that's why I was questioned by a, a late a late friend of mine that passed away. He questioned with me, and I don't know still to this day what how I got questioned. But he he used to call me Mahoney first, and then the shortened to to home. Seamus McEnany told us how he came to be known as the Banty. Way back some 40, 45 years ago, I was about seven, six or seven years of age, and uh, I had two bones growing out in the front of my chest. Very, I was very, very thin, may I add, at the time. Not like today, but I was extremely thin at the time. And uh, Listen, at that time you were on the farm and you were going to school and you were working and you were doing whatever had to be done on the farm as well, helping out on the farm. And uh, To make a long story short... 
uh, I had two bones sticking out through my front uh, chest. And my mother brought me one day to uh, the doctor. And uh, I came landed back home from the doctor with my mother and my father both unfortunately has passed away. My father, Lord of Mercy, says, uh, uh, what's wrong with the wee man? What does the doctor say about the wee man? And uh, my mother says he has two bones sticking out through the front of his chest and it's a thing called pigeon's chest. And my father says, so we have a banty hen now. <laughs> and <laughs> ever since that, I was just called banty my brothers, my sisters. <laughs> uh, I named my pub and cat my first pub and cat across in 1987, uh, Banty's Bar, and it has stuck to me since. And the inimitable Brush Shields had a number of explanations. You'll probably wonder who I'm talking to next when I say hello again to Brendan Francis Shields. <laughs> I, I want to know myself, Jerry, who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Brush, how are you? Oh, couldn't be better, Jerry. Couldn't be better. It's a beautiful day. Here I am. You know, where would you get it? Ah, you wouldn't get it anywhere else, is right. Come on, spill the beans, the brush, the nickname, where? I don't tell this story that often, but what happened is, it's just, it's, this is what happened. When I was a young guy, Jerry, and I came in late at night, my father would sweep the floor with me. <laughs> 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 Are you pulling me leg? Uh, well, uh, yeah, that's one of them. I've got my yeah, go on. Seven. Yeah, go on. you got? You I know. have. Go on. The real reason. Come on. Where did it? Who gave it to you? And different, different guys take. The, I, I signed for Bowes in 1964. I was a footballer before I was a musician. Mm. And at one time, they used to be the Don Revy centre forward clan in the evening hurdles. Now, all that has got nothing to do with it. I just thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> but there used to be, the sweeper came into the football at one time. Yeah. And some, and some of the boys reckoned that's what it was. And then I was in a soul band in 67 called the Uptown Band, believe it or not. And we were toured with a guy called Clarence Fogman Henry, who had some very big hits like I Don't Know Why I Love You, What I Do, and You Always Hurt the One You Love. And one of the cards to the boys. I had a moustache at the time. And Clarence Fragman Henry started calling me Brush. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> take it or leave it. But, uh, you know, but I can sing what I do. And uh, you always heard the one you love, boy. I, I can't play football anymore. But that, that, any of those will do you. Good man, Brush. You're a tonic for the troops. And finally, this time round, Liverpool fans the world over are celebrating the club's first league title in 30 years. 
Across the northeast, there are thousands of Liverpool fans. We spoke to them on Friday's show. What a poignant time it is for the Hogg family. Greg Hogg died suddenly and unexpectedly at 30 years of age just over a year ago. Here's his sister Sinead speaking about his love for Liverpool and how the family are all Liverpool mad. A year ago, just in May, um, my brother passed away from sudden adult death. Um, he was out jogging on the Hill of Tara, um, part of his training with his for his club for Bective. He loved Bective as well as mm. Liverpool. It was only a couple of nights before that that he was jumping around the house like a madman after them beating Barcelona. And he was full of life. And he was full of life for football, full of life for um, Liverpool and for his other team, um, which was um, Bective, the local GA team. And this for us, you know, we've, we've been waiting for this for years as a family. And our, our socialising goes around, the football team goes around, you know, the matches, just being a family of Liverpool heads, really. I've got two <laughs> brothers that have that don't really follow football at all. And then my brother, Brian, he's um, 10 years older than Greg, so he would have probably, and Dad, given Greg the love of Liverpool. Um, yes. So, yeah, it's bittersweet in one sense that we wish he was here to share it with us. Mm, absolutely, and he was only 30 years of age, which is a a, a figure that resonates with everybody because it's 30 years since Liverpool won it. So he was born in around the time, the last time they did win the, the league in England. Yeah, so what my Brian would have seen that and he would have been loved to have shared that, like to say, with, like with Greg, you know, and yeah. uh, kind of go through all their, like, you know, the match that's coming up at Man City, you know, that that would be, would have been one of our social events. Um, he got Player of the Year through his Bechtel team, and that was the night that they became um, champions of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so all those little things, you know, they're going to be first that we're going to miss for the rest of our lives, you know, but um, we definitely would miss them now around this time. My dad, yeah. especially, with the roaring in the house. <laughs> I remember that game. You know, you know the story with that. They lost and lost heavily in Barcelona, and everyone had written them off, and they came back to Anfield. And I think, in my book... It was one of the greatest games I've ever, ever witnessed. I can only imagine. How did the roof stay there on the house? Amazing. I I really don't know, because that's what Dad has to listen to most of the time anyway. Um, So I'd say it was much of a quieter house this time, you know, this year. Mm. You have a little boy yourself, so the the, the red jersey has been passed on, I hear. Oh, he's been, um, how can I say, brainwashed. My husband, my partner, Robert, he's a Man United supporter and obviously he wants Fionn to follow Man United, but I think it's Liverpool all the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you see, all the littlies now, because they're champions of that, will drift towards them. And that's the way it works with clubs. Different clubs get young supporters as their success kicks in. But what do you think now? You know, they've won the Champions League. We know the Super Cup, the World Club, now the Holy Grail. They wanted this Premier League title. Do you believe there's more to come? Oh yeah, definitely. Jurgen has given them a mm-hmm. great start. You know what I mean, and just his his passion for it as well as the you know the players seem to have so much passion. So fingers crossed, we we'll keep going. <laughs> I'd say the City game. You're going to be watching. I take the Man City game because that's sort of a that'll be a bit of a grudge match now because City will try to beat Liverpool. You know what I mean? But Liverpool will want to show them we are the champions in every sense. That's going to be some game next week. Yeah, that's the that's the one. You know, I think a lot of fans are waiting to see if we can pull that one off. Even though we've won it now, but at the same time, it would be icing on the cake winning that one, wouldn't it? It sure would, Sinead. We remember Greg today, and what about Andy O'Reilly? It's been a long thirty years, but his support for the Reds stretches back even further. Oh, seventy-seven! I think the cup final, FA Cup final, seventy-seven. 
um, would have been my first memory was with Stevie Highway would have been obviously the Irish man in the team at the time and uh, the great Bob Paisley manager he probably the best manager we ever had you know so mm. um, from there on and we dominated in the 80s and uh, all through the 80s Liverpool were just renowned to winning things and uh, you know it was great great times and uh, we waited 30 years for this you can imagine I'd say I've, I've put over a lot of stake over the years and Alex Ferguson brought United to the helm and uh, they had a great team in United you know and it's if you're a Liverpool fan you don't want to see Manchester United winning much so um, that was hard to take but I think uh, uh, we have the right man at the helm now so Did you ever believe you know when they won the last one and you remember that well in 1990 mm-hmm. that you would have to wait you know three decades before they'd be champions of England again I don't rub it in there, Jerry. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. Yeah, it was a long yeah. time. Like, no, we never would have believed that. Not, not really. No. Um, like in the early '90s, Liverpool was still a force, but uh, declined. Went back an awful lot, uh, you know, in later in the late '90s, and then uh, obviously Manchester United doing so well rubbed salt into the wounds. But absolutely, no. That the the people above the club are letting the manager manage the team, and I think that's the. The big plus for Liverpool is that the manager runs the team, not the people upstairs, you know. Yeah, and and I, I was just looking there at the uh, the nine managers in the interim. I'll tell you one thing, Brendan Rodgers almost did it. That slip by Stevie Gerrard on, in that game that night, was it against Chelsea? That was a, a key yeah, moment. Yeah, a few people have reminded me that over the last few years, actually, all right, on social media and that. But uh, look, Stevie Gerrard was probably the biggest standout player we've had in the last 30 years you know mm. and he didn't get to win the title but I'm sure he was celebrating last night yes Brendan Rodgers had us so so close you know what I mean but uh, yeah. now, it was always inevitable we were going to win it if the right man was at the top and Rogers, Brendan Rodgers did everything he could to win that title that year and you know mm. Stevie Rodgers or Brendan um, Stevie, G, Stevie G and uh, Louis Suarez that year were phenomenal they were absolutely brilliant you know what I mean so but you know the title is back in Liverpool where it belongs, and it's for all those <laughs> European cups. And I love that. I love that you're really going to get the 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 back up of the Man United fans <laughs> in particular when you say where it belongs. Look at that rivalry between United and Liverpool. It's intense. It really, really is intense, and it goes back a long way. I don't get it so much from the younger Liverpool supporters. No, probably not, because like Manchester United supporters, the younger ones would be used to winning games, you know what I mean, under mm. Ferguson and stuff like that. But mm. it goes back, possibly like, I would have been at Anfield many times, and the big, and I was an old Trafford, and the biggest rivalry you have, the rivalry you have in England, uh, you know, you have Everton Liverpool games, there is rivalry, but it's a friendly rivalry. Manchester United and Liverpool is a different level altogether. Mm. No, it really no, is. I, I'm I'm well aware of that myself. If you look uh, through all the years you've been following the team and think about the great managers, of course it began with Shankly, who transformed the club in his own way at the time, carried on by Bob Paisley, Kenny Dalglish, and through all the other managers right up to the present with Jurgen Klopp. He's done a lot, Klopp, hasn't he? It's taken him a, a year or two to get to grips with it, but now that he has, he's certainly delivering the silverware. Where does he rate in those names I've just mentioned there, with those names? Well, to me, Bob Paisley was always the best Liverpool manager I've ever seen, and probably, you know, his success was amazing, um, three European Cups, but Jurgen Klopp is going to be 
going to be top man. He's he is top man. He's, he's he, but he runs the club. He runs the team. You know, he doesn't run the club. He runs the team, and it's great to see in nowadays that if you look at Chelsea and Manchester City and all these teams. So an awful lot of managers are not allowed from the team. You know what I mean? They're being told who to play. Their 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 purchases that their transfer markets are sorted. They're, they're sorted for them. To me, Jurgen Klopp buys who he wants. You know, you you sing off the one hymn sheet. They all every player coming in knows what he has to do, and I think it's a testament to Liverpool Football Club itself that they're letting the man run the team. You know what I mean? They yes, can run the club, yeah. but let the, let manager run the team. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, Klopp era is truly magnificent for the club. If you were to pick a player, never mind a manager, your favourite Liverpool player of all time? All time, uh, I would probably be Stephen Gerrard. I'd say you know, um, I think he was. Immense in in mediocre Liverpool teams at the time as well. Um, yeah. Kenny Dalglish obviously comes to mind as well, and uh, I think Virgil van Dijk will have a, a very very fruitful career with Liverpool as well. Now in the next few years, I, I think is he may get a, an extension onto his medal board. I think. Um, but <laughs> as long as uh, Jorgen Klopp is at the helm, we are okay. You're right there, Andy. You got to keep Klopp for sure. Congratulations, Liverpool Premier League champions. That's it for the moment. We'll have more interesting conversations with great guests soon for you on our next podcast. In the meantime, do join us each afternoon for Late Lunch Live from 1.30 on your station, LMFM. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.